Alright, Route 66. Today we continue our journey through the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. And we're cruising through these 66 books, one book each Sunday. This morning we are ready to study the 8th book, the book of Ruth. Let's just dive right on in as we look at the structure together. How does the book of Ruth fit into the overall structure of the Old Testament? Well, as we've learned, the Old Testament consists of three major types of books, 17 historical books, which are divided up by the five books of law and the 12 books of history, five poetical books, and then again, 17 prophetical books, the five major and 12 minor prophets. Ruth, then, is the third book of the history of the Israelites in the Promised Land. Looking at the Old Testament from a chronological viewpoint, we still have the three major types of books, historical, poetical, and prophetical. There are 11 books that actually move forward the history line of the Old Testament. Ruth is not one of them. The book actually runs concurrent with the book of Judges. In fact, Ruth 1 and verse 1 begins, In the days when the judges ruled. As we learned in our last lesson from the book of Judges, this was a time of apostasy and warfare and violence and moral decay. It was a time actually of total failure on the part of Israel. But in contrast to that, Ruth provides a cameo of the other side of the story, the godly remnant who remained true to the laws of God. So, what's the structure of Ruth itself? Well, the title of the book, Ruth, from the Hebrew root, which literally means friendship or association. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, simply names the book Ruth, from which we get our English word, Ruth. This title is fitting, of course, because the main character of the book is this lady of noble character, Ruth. Now, the author of Ruth is anonymous. The book was probably written during King David's reign, since Solomon is not mentioned in the genealogy. Yet even though the author is unknown, that should not detract from its spiritual value or its literary beauty. Ruth divides itself very neatly into four distinct settings. It begins in the country of Moab. Look at the map here. There we go. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Then it goes from there to a field outside of Bethlehem. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 through chapter 2. And then to a threshing floor, the threshing floor of Boaz, outside of Bethlehem. Ruth 3, verses 1 through 18. And finally ends up in the city of Bethlehem itself in Ruth chapter 4. And as we just learned, the book ends with the genealogy of David setting us up for the book of 1 Samuel, which will be the focus of our study in our next lesson. Now with that overall structure in mind, then let's move on to the story. Once again, we are indebted to the Bible Project for their excellent overview of the storyline of Ruth in the video clip that we watched to begin today's lesson. And once again, I have reproduced that chart across the inside pages of your lesson notes for your own further review and study at home. So how can we sum up the story of the book of Ruth? In a word, redemption. 
redemption. In the narrower sense, it's a story of the kinsman or guardian redeemer. In the broader sense, it's a type of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. But we'll get to that a bit later in today's lesson. Hopefully you took the opportunity to read through the entire book of Ruth this past week in preparation for today's lesson. It's very short, just four chapters, 85 verses overall. And since the video did such a good job of the storyline, I'm not going to repeat it here. Instead, I just want to point out a couple of key verses that are favorites of mine from the book. Perhaps one of the most touching passages in all of Ruth is Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. In fact, let's read Ruth's words to Naomi out loud together. Would you read it with me? Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. One more. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Great, great verse. I mean, the loyalty, the, the character of Ruth comes out in these verses. Boaz was also a person of character and loyalty. And one place that we see this is in his blessing that he pronounced upon Ruth in Ruth 2 and verse 12. May the Lord deal with, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And of course, as you know, in this love story, Boaz and Ruth get married. They have a son. Ruth 4 and verse 17 tells us they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so the book ends with the genealogy of David, which of course means that Boaz and Ruth are ancestors of the Messiah, Jesus. And so they are named in Matthew 1 and verse 5. That's the story of Ruth, which brings us then to the Savior. Each Sunday as we focus on one of these 66 books of the Bible, one of our priorities is to point out where and how Jesus is to be found in the narrative of that book. Now please remember there's one grand central theme, a single scarlet thread if you will, that runs through Scripture from Genesis through the book of Revelation, and that is salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so here in Ruth, we want to stop, look, and listen for the Savior. Where and how does Jesus Christ appear in the narrative of Ruth? Now, while there are no direct references to the Messiah in Ruth, there is a distinct portrayal of the work of Christ here. This concept, as you see on the slide, of Kingsman Redeemer, or what the NIV translates as guardian redeemer, is an important picture of the redeeming work of Jesus Himself. The Hebrew word is goel. Goel. You're going to know that word very well by the time we get through here this morning. It's used 13 times just in the book of Ruth alone. The Jewish law gave the right and responsibility of redeeming to the nearest relative who was accordingly called by this name, Goel. Now earlier, I had you turn to Ruth chapter 3. Follow along now as I read 
We're going to pick it up with verse 1. Just read this whole chapter. It's an interesting chapter and kind of the heart of the book. And so we'll learn a bit about the kinsman or guardian redeemer, Goel, in this chapter. Ruth 3, we pick it up with verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her, and then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Today. And in fact, Boaz didn't rest. If you read the rest of the story, he uh, takes care of the matter and becomes this guardian redeemer for her. Now basically, the duty of the kingsman or guardian redeemer was laid out in Leviticus 25 and is repeated a number of different times throughout the Old Testament. And as you can see on the back page of your lesson notes, this right and responsibility was fivefold. First... The Goel was responsible for buying back any family land that had been sold due to a crisis. And that's precisely what Boaz did for Naomi and Ruth. He redeemed Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband who had died. He redeemed the property back for them. He purchased it back in Bethlehem and gave it back to them, restored it to them. 
Second, the goel was responsible for buying back any relatives who might become enslaved because uh, they had to. They became indebted to somebody in some way, so they became encumbered. They became indentured servants, if you will. And the the goel was responsible for purchasing them, whatever the purchase price of the master would be, to purchase them back into the family. Third, the goel was responsible for providing an heir, a son, when one of his dead brothers uh, did not have any children. Again, that's precisely what Boaz did for Naomi since her husband and her two sons had died by marrying Ruth. And the birth of Obed fulfilled that Redeemer duty. Fourth, the Goel was responsible for avenging the blood of a relative who had been murdered. The Goel was the one who was to carry out the justice of that sentence toward the murderer. And then fifth, the Goel was responsible for caring for any relatives who found themselves in any kind of difficult circumstances, whatever. The Redeemer, the Goel, had the responsibility to make sure that they were safely in the Bethob, the Father's house in the patriarch family and cared for in every way. And so it was the responsibility of the family patriarch, the father figure and the head of household, to do whatever was necessary to redeem any and all family members and to protect and provide for them and to make sure that they were safely in the Beth Auburn father's house. And if any family member was lost, marginalized, oppressed, in slavery or whatever, the Goel was to go to leave the Father's house and to go out and search for them and rescue them at whatever cost was needed. Now this concept of kinsman redeemer then is a picture of God, the Father. He is Goel with a capital G. He is our guardian redeemer. There are many scriptures that indicate this role. Here's just a couple. Exodus 6 verses 6 and 7. God told Moses, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your." God. The concept of Goel, Redeemer. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, we read, But now this is what the Lord says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You belong to me. I am the Father, and you're in the Father's house. And, and how exactly did God redeem you and me? Through thee, Goel, <laughs> through the ultimate kingsman redeemer, which of course is His Son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied about Him, the Redeemer will come to Zion. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, proclaimed, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. In Luke chapter 4, Verses 18 and 19, Jesus Himself quoted Isaiah 61 and applied it directly to Himself. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent Me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is basically saying, I am the Goel. God has sent Me to redeem you. Let's read 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 out loud together. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, our Goel, who paid the ultimate price to purchase us back to Himself. So that's the Goel, the Savior. Which brings us to our final main point, and that's the sense. As we wrap up each of these lessons, I want to offer the sense of each of these books of the Bible. In other words, what practical take-home lessons can we apply to our daily lives from the book? In today's case, what instructions or applications can we glean from the book of Ruth? Well, perhaps there are many practical lessons we could learn and apply from this beautiful love story, and especially from the examples of uh, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. But I want to just zero in on two lessons today, both of them related, surprise, to Goel, the kinsman or guardian redeemer. First of all, I want to talk about our redemption. I want to talk about our redemption. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, I want to emphasize again that Jesus Christ is our Goel. As Boaz was to Ruth, Jesus is to us. But in an even greater way, of course. He has redeemed us. He has bought us back. He has restored us to Bethab, the Father's house. We were slaves to Satan. We were lost in the foreign land of sin. We were alienated from the Father. And Jesus, our Goel, came to us. In His own words, He came to seek and save the lost. He's the one, the only one, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1 verse 14. And although this redemption is present tense in the here and now, by grace through faith we are at this very moment redeemed, we are already restored to the Father's house, the family of God, the church, we also know that this redemption is future tense. We look forward to a day when we will all be together in the Father's house, in God's presence forever. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Ephesians 1 and verse 14. Let's look at it together. Keep going, two more. There you go. And you trusted Him when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and after you gave your confidence to Him, you were, so to speak, stamped with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of purchase until the day when God completes the redemption of what He has paid for as His own. Don't miss that phrase. God completes the redemption. See, with this future redemption in mind, heaven, I want us to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, and that's Jesus' promise in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Maybe in a little different light than you've seen it before. In fact, let's read these verses out loud together. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I come back and take you that I am going there to prepare? Wait a minute, let's go on. If I go and prepare a place for you, there it is, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Isn't that a great promise. Notice that that phrase, my father's 
house, next slide, has many rooms. Bethab. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. My father's house has many rooms. And Jesus, our Goel, is preparing a place for us to take us to be with Him forever. And this will then, as we read a moment ago, complete the redemption of what He has paid for as His own. It's yet to happen, but won't that be a wonderful day when we are all together in the Father's house? That's the full hope of our redemption. So first, the sense of Ruth is about our redemption. The second thing I want to talk about is their reconciliation. Their reconciliation. Their who? Well, I'm speaking here of those who have yet to be redeemed. Those who have yet to be brought into the Bethlehem, the Father's house. Those who have yet to trust in Jesus Christ as their Redeemer, their Goel. And herein is an interesting twist in God's plan of redemption. While Jesus is away preparing a room, a place for us, we, you and I, have been given the responsibility of reconciliation. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17-20, through 20, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. And that's exactly what God is doing. He is making the appeal through us. The fact is that He gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And in truth, He has no other plan. If lost people are to be redeemed, if they are to meet their Goel, Jesus Christ, guess what? It's up to us. To make that introduction. Let's read Romans 10 and verse 14 out loud together. Would you read this with me? But how shall they ask Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? Romans 10 verse 17 sums it up this way. No one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. And we are the bearers of that message. This world, our lost family and friends, will never get to know their Goel, Jesus Christ. They'll never be brought into the Bethob, the Father's house, unless we go and we tell them. Their reconciliation is up to us. Now that's a huge responsibility, I realize. So where do we begin? Perhaps it begins with something as simple as an invitation. Watch this. Okay, here's a question. Do you believe you have a personal responsibility to share your faith? Surveys have shown that the overwhelming majority of you would answer yes. Okay, so what about this question? Have you shared your faith with anyone in the last six months? Surveys have shown that a majority of you would answer this question? No. I guess it's just not as easy as it seems. Or at least as easy as we'd like it to be. Well, here's another question. 
How many times have you personally invited an unchurched person to church? Now this seems simple, right? And yet, surveys tell us that almost half of you would answer zero. I mean, there are lots of reasons why we don't, right? Like, maybe it still feels a little awkward and uncomfortable. Or maybe we're just unsure how effective it is. Or we just expect to hear them say, well, no. Okay, so listen to this. When people are asked why they came to church in the first place, the vast majority of them say, I began attending because someone invited me. It wasn't the music or the pastor. It wasn't the childcare, the youth program, or the building. Although these are all great things, important and valuable things, the main thing that got most of you up and through that door the first time wasn't any of these. It was an invitation. Easter will be here soon. It's the perfect Sunday to share with others what your faith is all about. And it can all start with one more simple question. Want to come to church on Sunday? Let's change the stats and let God change hearts and lives this Easter. And let's start with something simple. An invitation. Hmm. Easter Sunday is only seven weeks away. Hard to believe. Didn't we just celebrate Christmas? Yeah. April the 21st. It's later than usual this year. But more than any other day of the year, this is the day when people are more apt to say yes to an invitation than any other Sunday. Once again, we'll be mailing out this year 5,000 direct mail postcard invitations to everyone who lives within 12 miles of our church facilities. But experience teaches us that these invitations really only work if they are followed up with a personal invitation from you and me. I'd like to encourage you to start by making a list of those people who are in your circle of influence who do not yet know Jesus Christ, their Goel. Focus on listing family members and friends and neighbors and work associates and schoolmates and others who live in this area who could, in fact, come to this church. And then I want to encourage you to begin to pray every day for these people. Start now. Praying every day for seven weeks for these people and then begin to look for an opportunity to personally invite them to be your guest on Easter Sunday. You see the schedule here. It's going to be very simple this year. It's going to start with a breakfast at 8.30, a full breakfast over next door. Those of you that have been here to our breakfasts in the past know how yummy they really are. People will come for food. That's just a fact. And so we bring them for breakfast, and then guess what? We ask them to stay for church. <laughs> At 10 o'clock, which is a special time, we'll do our Easter service on Easter Sunday. And so we'll have extra postcards, by the way, uh, that we're mailing out to everybody. We'll have some extra ones that you can use as a personal invitation. You can actually hand one to somebody. They may have already seen it. They might have tossed it, but they probably have already seen it, and they'll recognize it, and you can hand it to them and say, Would you be my guest on Easter Sunday? Would you come to church with me? Statistics tell us that 80-some percent of those we ask for an Easter Sunday invite will actually say yes. Four out of five. 
That's pretty amazing. So second, the sense of Ruth is about their reconciliation. And it's really our responsibility to take that message to them. Two lessons then about Goel. A lesson about our redemption and their reconciliation. That's the sense of the book of Ruth. Route 66, as we're cruising through 66 books of the Bible, today we have focused on the book of Ruth, the structure, the story, the Savior, and the sense. We'll continue our journey next Sunday with the book of 1 Samuel. There are 31 chapters in 1 Samuel, so if you read 4 to 5 chapters a day, every day, you'll read through the entire book before we get together next Sunday and study it together. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this beautiful love story. Thank you for this story of redemption. Thank you for this principle of kingsman or guardian redeemer. What an amazing principle that you established and that Israel carried out in its early days when they were obedient to you. Thank you for the example of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. How they speak to our lives today. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Goel, our Redeemer for coming to seek and to save us. We were lost. We were hopeless. We had no way to get out of this mess that we had made of our lives. And You came to rescue us. You came to redeem us. You came to be our Goel. And we praise You for that. And I pray that we would take seriously this responsibility that You have given to us, that we have the ministry of reconciliation. It is our responsibility to go with this good news to let our family members and friends and neighbors, to let everyone around us in our circle of influence know about You, about the Redeemer who has come for them as well. So even now I pray for Easter Sunday. Even though it's a ways off, may we begin now to pray for those on our circle of influence that they would accept the invitations that we're going to offer to them to come and be our guest on that day. Maybe that would be the beginning of their spiritual journey as they come to know You, Jesus. Thank You for that opportunity that we have to do that. Help us to be faithful in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.